Kitty Cat. Hi, and welcome to the Four Corners Crime Cast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie, and today we are talking about John Bonet Ramsey Part 2. Wah wah, Part 2. Bum, 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 bum. Part 2. Dun, 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 dun. Part All right. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So we do have uh, John Bonet Ramsey Part 2, and you want to go over your research again? And you want to do a little quick recap? Of the last episode? Last week we went over the discovery of her body, the 911 call, the ransom note, and we left off with detectives having just learned that Patsy Ramsey's handwriting was almost an exact match to the ransom note and suspicions had turned onto her. Okay. So why don't you start us off on this one, Katie? On January 1st, both Patsy and John gave their first interview on CNN. Up to this point, they had not cooperated with the police, but of course, on national television, they swore that they would give Boulder police, quote, whatever they want. One line that stood out to a lot of people was when Patsy said, You know, America has just been hurt so deeply with the tragic things that have happened. The young woman who drove her children into the water, and we don't know what happened with O.J. Simpson. And I mean, America is suffering because of lost faith in the American family. We are a Christian, God-fearing family. We love our children. Was she just pulling out things that she, the, the recent events that were tragic and just because they don't seem to have any correlation? The woman that she mentioned, the woman that drove her children into the water, was Susan Smith, which was in 1994. I mean, it was two years later, so it wasn't all that recent. It's just strange. There's not a lot of correlation aside from that, but like the OJ case. I mean, it's weird that she kind of calls out the two people that are obviously guilty of killing someone else. And <laughs> mm-hmm. like, yeah, all these weird things that are happening, you know, O.J. Simpson and that woman that killed her kids. It's obviously okay these days. You can get away with murder now. Well, yeah, it's like so weird. The weird part with Susan Smith is she said that her kids were kidnapped by someone. She said she was carjacked. And then they ended up finding the kids in a lake because she had driven her car into the water and drowned them. So she claimed kidnapping when in reality she was the one that murdered her kids, which seems suspicious given the circumstances of the John Bonet case. Seems similar, to say the least. Weird that that stood out in her head, though. Yeah, that's the first thing that came to her mind, unless she thought about it, and she was like, hmm, who can I compare myself to? <laughs> she thought about it, all right. She picked two winners, for yeah. sure. Patsy continuously attempted to cry during the interview, but only shed one or two real tears. They also announced they were offering a $50,000 reward for information, a minuscule amount of money to a millionaire. Still a pretty good chunk of change. It's a good chunk of change, but it seems strange to me that if you can't cry, you're going to go on TV and try to cry. When you have $7 million, 50000 is nothing to find who killed your kid. I guess that's right. Um, I don't know. It still seems like a pretty good reward to me. Like if someone was like, $50,000 reward to find my pet cat, you know I'd be searching for that cat. A cat and a child, they're not comparable when it comes to murder. When detectives heard the Ramseys announce on national television they were willing to cooperate, they hopped on a plane and headed for Atlanta. That's where John Bonet is buried, correct? Yes. Instead of interviews, the Ramseys hopped onto a plane of their own and left, not telling police where they were going. By this point, John had hired lawyers for himself, Patsy, Burke, and their families, a private investigator, a PR rep, handwriting experts of their own, and even John Douglas, one of the founders of the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit and the creator of the term serial killer. Now, did all the stuff that happened here not tip off Mr. FBI? Like, how did they get around that? I don't want to speak poorly about him, but this was at the time where he was not so much working with the FBI. He was 
doing private investigative work. Early stage dementia. Downward spiral of career path. It was more, I know this is going to be big and I'm going to get involved in it because then I can put it in a book that I'm writing. Ah, one of those things. Cash grab. Detectives didn't want to waste their trip, so they decided to try to speak to the reverend who held John Bonet's funeral. Apparently, the Ramsey had gotten to him already, as he immediately lawyered up and refused to answer any questions. The case only got colder when they learned that the substance they thought was semen on John Bonet's thighs was only blood. Now their suspect list expanded from only men to anyone. It seems that the Ramses did literally everything possible to hinder the investigation into their daughter's death, which if the police are suspecting you and you're innocent, an investigation could only help to exonerate you, right? I, I don't know. It seems like they're being protected by some underground dwelling people that may <laughs> have future plans for them or have had already used their plans for their children. Right, Katie? Hey, you know that meme where the guy, or it's like the gif where the guy makes that face like he's shocked? He does like the the blonde guy during an interview? No? No. Okay, well, that's the face I make. When you hear Exactly, things. every time you say something. <laughs> I make Trump face. About lizard people. The Ramsey's fake cooperation only continued when the CBI requested more of Patsy's handwriting. Somehow, her lawyer was able to make a deal that she wouldn't have to step foot in a law enforcement building to give her sample. She instead gave it in the deputy DA's kitchen. Because rich white people don't need supervision? They're all trustworthy. Mm -hmm. Every last one of them. Oddly enough, her handwriting and style changed immensely after John Bonet's death, but no police were around to watch her more than likely struggled to change her penmanship while writing her samples. I mean, literally all you have to do is change the grip on your pen from how you normally write. It's not a super difficult thing. I change my penmanship all the time. Or but lose a thumb. There's more that goes into it than just what your handwriting looks like. The way you format your sentences and the way you uh, use specific I words. See. There's all kinds of shit that goes into it. I thought it was just like how her <laughs> penmanship looked. I would just start writing left-handed and skip all the words like a Neanderthal. So but, be like, skip all the thes and the a's and be like, daughter not dead. Give money or daughter die. They can literally tell, though, when you switch hands because you have a different shake to your hand unless you're ambidextrous, which you're not. You'd fail miserably. What if Patsy's ambidextrous? She's probably not. Because otherwise she would have needed to practice with her opposite hand to write the note if she had thought about it. If you remember from last week, the Ramses were also refusing to answer questions in person and would only answer written questions faxed to them. Detectives received those questions back in January and discovered not only was Patsy's handwriting changing, but so was her entire story. So they had previous records of her handwriting and she still chose to change it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they got a sample from her the morning of. Isn't that just super, super obvious? Not if you're rich. Uh, it all comes back to the rich white person thing. And the police can't prove that you're changing anything just because it looks different doesn't mean that you're did they accuse her of it they never got close enough to her to be able to accuse her of anything really patsy now claimed that she had only read one or two sentences of the ransom note before checking john benet's room this was obviously a lie as during the 911 call when the operator asked her who took john benet she replies it says sbtc victory <laughs> that's what was written at the the sign off at the end of the note right yeah at the very last page of the three the page ransom line. note She'd also told police that she'd checked John Bonet's room and then found the note on the 26th. When asked about the pineapple, Patsy had no memory of feeding it to John Bonet, despite her prints being all over the bowl. Did they, like, find pineapple leavings in the bowl? How'd they know that was the bowl that had she had eaten pineapple out of? It w There was still pineapple in it. I guess she liked to eat pineapple mixed with milk. 
gross. Okay. Yeah. So, so she was a sugar glider? That actually, wouldn't that actually, never mind, curdle your milk a little bit since it's got citric acid in it? Anyway. It's probably how they knew what was in the bowl the next day. They're like, that's disgusting. Okay, wouldn't Patsy's fingerprints be on every bowl or almost every surface in the house? Doesn't that kind of exclude her from evidentiary proceeding like that like she literally yeah probably prepared a bowl for her daughter but if she doesn't remember what she prepared or how she did it that's not a crime either the thing like, it's with... not even that suspicious because i don't remember half the shit i do yeah well her fingerprints were the only prints on the bowl at all it was just strictly hers so if that was the case what you're saying no one else in the entire household would have ever touched that bowl except okay. for patsy strictly okay and she would only have left five fingerprints i think there's five on it so in the entire time they owned that bowl she only left five fingerprints and burke and john also did not touch it ever it could have just been out of the dishwasher though but do those wash fingerprints off yeah what if they're the manual dishwasher where you have to use your hands to wash them you put on gloves john and patsy both were now saying that neither of them had checked any of the doors or windows despite john telling multiple officers that he had is it safe to say that Patsy was just kind of high as fuck because they were giving her Valium the whole time and keeping her out of touch with reality? I don't think. I think they stopped giving it to her after the first couple of days because this is in January now, so they're uh, probably okay. a couple of weeks post, and I don't think they kept just shoving it down her throat, probably. Maybe she was sneaking them. She seemed... I mean, you can see the, the CNN interview on YouTube, and she seemed coherent and not on a ton of Valium. I mean, House took Valium every day, and he fucking solved a whole bunch of mysterious illnesses. Yeah, so on a television show, detectives were able to secure an in-person interview with Burke, John Bonet's brother. When asked what happened, he said, quote, "I think someone took her down in the basement, took a knife out, or hit her in the head. It's unknown if Burke had been told of the autopsy results, but we can assume that a parent wouldn't tell their nine-year-old child how his sister had her skull crushed by blunt force trauma." Burke also said he was not concerned that the killer would come back for him, also unusual for a child whose sister had just been murdered in their own home. Speaking of memes, you know the meme where the dude has got his finger on his forehead? Mm-hmm. I just see that as Burke, and he's like, killer can't come back for you if you're the killer. I mean, kids process shit in a different way. Like, they, they don't really have that bluntness filter yet so he could just be saying things that he's heard i mean it's been on the news he's probably heard his parents talking all sorts of things and it could just be like this is what it is and andy's a psycho it's possible too but if there was some stranger that broke into your house and murdered your sister more than likely you're going to be scared if you're a nine-year-old and you would admit to I'm slightly concerned that they might come back. Unless you were Rory. Rory was only scared once, and it was when he was five, not when he was nine. Now it's monsters of the closet, not serial killers. Around this time, police also interviewed one of the most famous suspects in the case, Santa Bill. (laughs) (laughs) His cousin was Santa Bob and Easter Bunny Barney. (laughs) To this day, those who believe in the intruder theory are very skeptical of Santa Bill, and I've even seen a decent amount of people that legitimately think that he did it. Bill McReynolds was an older gentleman who played Santa at all of the Ramseys' Christmas parties. According to the Ramseys, John Bonet knew him very well and trusted him, which is what leads some people to think he may have been able to convince her to get out of bed and follow him into the basement. Police looked into Santa Bill intensely and learned that he was 67 and recovering from both heart and lung surgery he'd had four months before the murder. Not only was he weak, he also was home with his wife and friends on Christmas night in Rollinsville, Colorado. Santa Bill did have an odd history that made police take extra care when investigating him. 
Another little boy he knew from playing Santa at parties had also been murdered years before. His own daughter and her friend had even been kidnapped 25 years before, and the friend was molested before both were let go. Bill claimed to not remember the exact date, but when police found the report, it had occurred December 26, 1974, exactly 22 years to the day John Bonet died. But this, the crazy thing about this is that it's 22 years to the day. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I wonder if, like, so some bad shit happened on the 26th of December for this guy. Yeah, and when he was talking to police when they asked him about it, or when he brought it up, I think he was like, yeah, it was like, it was 25 years ago, I don't remember what day it happened. And then they are like, you know, that's weird, you don't remember the day. Every single May 11th, I'm like, oh, this is the day I got my DUI. I can't imagine just being like, oh, yep. <laughs> 22 years ago well in 22 years tell me, about uh, it. tell me how much you remember about the day you got your DUI I'll remember that it happened yeah he remembers the that day. this happened he doesn't remember exactly when it happened He'll remember. I'd remember the day I mean, I remember too. The, day. the suspicion only continued when they found Bill's wife had written a play about a young girl who was tortured and murdered and that their son had gone to prison for conspiracy aggravated robbery and kidnapping these are two separate instances though like she wrote a play and then their son also went to prison, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. they wrote a play about a girl who was tortured and that the son went to prison in the play. Yeah, no, they're separate ins- oh. they're just <laughs> The son went to prison because of the play. Uh, he acted it out in real life. I see. It turned out that the play was based off a true story and the son was eventually ruled out. Wait, wait, it turned out that the play was based off of a true story? Yeah. Already in record, not John Bonet. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it was it had occurred years before the play was written by the wife and the son committed his kidnapping years after the actual murder and the play was written and they were not connected but police thought they were because it's a weird incident a bunch of just weird coincidences with this guy yeah even with all the strange coincidences santa bill's handwriting was not a match and he was ruled out as a suspect after police looked into every aspect of his life sounds like old santa bill was just better at faking his handwriting than the pet i mean uh patsy was if you remember from part one, John's total liabilities were $1,118,000, a possible explanation for the $118,000 mentioned in the ransom note. An even better explanation came when police looked into employees at Access Graphics and one showed them John's bonus that had been recently paid out. He received $118,117.50. That would have still left him $117.50 to play around with. In the red, baby. <laughs> and the other $7 million that he had. That was just his net worth, you know? He probably didn't have that lying around. More than likely, one had to either be a part of the company or know the family personally to know the exact amount of his bonus. Unfortunately, this still did not give detectives much to go off of, as Access Graphics employees refused to say much more. I feel like he might have just been that loudmouth guy who might have told a bunch of people that he got a $118,000 bonus. My thing is, I, I think that he told um, Patsy, oh, I got a $118,000 bonus, and... You know when someone tells you something and that number kind of sticks in your head, so when you're trying to make up a number, like the first thing that comes oh. to your head is it's something that someone has recently told you. It's like when people use the same number when they're exaggerating a story every time. Right, right. Like I always say 17. Exactly. So do you think that that may play something into it? Like he came home and he's like, guess what, honey? I got $118,000 today for my bonus. Yeah, no, I think that definitely had something to do with it. If If it wasn't to her, it was to someone that was involved whoever whoever wrote the ransom note had heard the number because of this bonus that he got makes sense they went on to try to interview john benet in burke's school a therapist that had seen john benet and the family's pediatrician and all refused 
when they attempted to go to the DA's office to call a grand jury, they were denied and told that they should try asking John and Patsy's permission to speak to those people. So the Ramses just paid off everybody in their in their wake, basically? Or they were being paid off or pressured by someone who knows the Illuminati. Dun, dun, dun. Illuminati. All right. I think they just didn't want to be involved in the murder of a child. Makes sense. The DA went one step further and told detectives there was zero possibility John and Patsy would ever be considered suspects. Instead, they called a press conference, planning on offering the suspect leniency if they turned themselves in. They did so on February 13th, but instead of leniency... District Attorney Alex Hunter promised no mercy. John and Patsy also went to the press, telling them they were never asked by the police to be polygraphed. They had been, of course, but declined to participate. Completely out of the blue, a huge piece of evidence was dropped into detectives' laps. John's daughter's boyfriend had arrived at the home around 1 p.m., only knowing that someone had taken John Bonet. John got into the car and told them that John Bonet was, quote, with Beth now, as her body had been found around 11 a.m. In reality, her body had been found at 1 p.m. If John was telling the truth, this would mean he had found or knew about John Bonet's death two hours before she was found. It was also exactly the time that Detective Arndt had lost track of John while she was the only officer in the home. So the sacrifice had finished, the ritual was fulfilled, 9-11 was confirmed. Right, Katie? What 9-11? Like 9-11, September 11th? Yeah, that's what the sacrifice was all about. So you're saying that Dick Cheney and Halliburton set this whole thing up? They're part of the NWO, aren't they? Here's the thing. The sacrifice... We're going to get into this later, actually. Katie's giving me a look. So let's continue on. I'm Katie. just confused on 9-11 being involved now. I thought we were just doing... The death of Jean Benet was the trigger for 9-11. Katie, Jesus. Okay, Learn your right. histories. Why did it take five years then? <laughs> it was only part of the ritual... Duh. There was other parts of the ritual that had to be completed, including yeah. training terrorists. This was, this was literally <laughs> just the confirmation that it was that 9-11 was set in place to happen. They'd like a worldwide confirmation. Like if you okay. see JonBenet dead, you know it's yeah, this ritual on. confirmed that it was on. They still had planning and things to take care of. And they took of. this out on a little fucking six-year-old beauty pageant queen? That's what the sacrifice commands, Jake. Where have okay. you been? All right. I think maybe we'll get back to that. We'll try not to. Let's continue. I don't think George Bush could have followed a plan like that. It wasn't actually George Bush. George Bush was just the uh, face of the whole thing. Yeah. And they liked it because he played or he seemed dumb. And so it was easy for them to pull the wool over the conservative uh, America's eyes. The first thing he said when he got into the White House was, <laughs> I don't believe in no aliens. There ain't no aliens around here, and Dick. Dick Cheney stood up behind him and his, tucked his tail into his asshole and said, You're right. Good job. And that's how it happened, Katie. On top of this, another suspect <laughs> came out of the woodwork. John Brewer Eustace III was in jail for kidnapping a two-year-old girl. In his cell, he kept a scrapbook of photos of John Bonet and had her name on a list of his sexual fantasies. Detectives went to the jail and explained why they wanted to talk to him, and in return, he waived his Miranda rights so he could talk about, quote, the good-looking little girl. Gross. Yeah. He looked promising, as the crime he committed against the two-year-old girl was similar to John Bonet, but it turned out there were records proving he was at work in North Carolina on the 25th. Did they cut his dick off anyways for good measure? I mean, the man never had a chance to not be a child molester. His name is John Brewer Eustace the Third. 
They should have called him John Burry Eunuch the Third. They might now, but that's just a terrible name. Like you're dooming your child if you name if you give him a third after Eustace. <laughs> what about the second? See, also no. with molesters? I mean, that just, no, honestly, he, that just means they weren't creative because they just went with three. That's probably f- three Johns at least, unless he's a John Junior, and then they're just renaming their kids John is really what that comes down to. John Brewer Eustace three times. His grandfather, his father, and him. What if they just switch uh, John and Brewer each generation? So there's like... Well, that'd still be terrible. I mean, it's it's the last name, really. It's anything you put before that. <laughs> it's, it's Eustace. With another suspect cleared, detectives went back to Atlanta in hopes they'd find something useful. They visited Patsy's parents again, where her mother explained her growing agitation that Patsy wouldn't speak to police. When her handwriting sample was brought up, Patsy's mother found a note written just that morning and handed it over. When it was analyzed, they discovered they had legitimate evidence that Patsy was intentionally changing her handwriting. In the ransom note, the letter A was written manuscript style 109 times and in cursive 5 times. On the letter given to detectives, the letter A was written manuscript style, but Patsy had gone over it with a pen and changed it to a cursive A. At the same time they were finding this out, the pad of paper was being tested for prints. It came back with only 7 fingerprints on it. Five were Patsy's, one was a cop's, and one was a laboratory text. The possibility of an intruder remembering to wear gloves but forgetting to write the ransom note seemed extremely slim. The real problem here is that Patsy just wasn't committed enough. It would have been really easy to just stage an accident, cut off the thumb on your writing hand, and boom, you have a perfect excuse for why your writing has changed, ultimately proving that you did not write the ransom note for your own daughter in order to protect your dead-eyed, creepy little fuck of a son. I think you mean demon-occupied Hellspun who needed the blood of one child from the Ramsey lineage and the body of the other to create the true New World Order, thus establishing the rule that half-lizard spacemen currently occupying every facet of the U.S. government. Right, Katie? Mm, Yes. Doesn't that mean that Birch should be rising to power soon? Yeah, soon enough. With the growing evidence against Patsy, the district attorney's investigator was scrambling to come up with a theory proving the Ramseys weren't responsible. This is how the stun gun was introduced into the case. According to the investigator, abrasions found during John Bonet's autopsy proved that the kidnapper had used the stun gun to disable John Bonet and carry her to the basement, where they planned to put her into a suitcase and carry her out the window. There's multiple other theories behind where the marks came from, including that the marks came from a toy train in the basement. Many experts have looked into the abrasions and all disagree on what caused them, so this piece of evidence is up in the air. And what do you think, Katie? Could it be the marks on the bindings of a hemp and rope used in ritualistic tyings? It wasn't. I'm much more interested in the toy train. They were like two little prod marks. Like, it looked sort of like a stun gun had been used and pressed into her skin. It wasn't like... Sort of like maybe you got bit by a half-lizard demon? Now that John and Patsy had more evidence pointing to the intruder theory, they agreed to meet with police. Negotiations had been going for months, and in May they finally settled on a ridiculous set of rules. The interviews would be for only two hours a day, with a two-hour break in between John and Patsy's so they could talk with their lawyers. They had to have all evidence and their prior statements before being interviewed, and they were limited on what they could ask. Detectives originally said absolutely not, but all of the case information had already been released to them by the district attorney's office. They were also given a copy of the ransom note and allowed to view the garage. I just can't understand and figure out why the Ramseys are being treated like celebrities here, basically. Since when is there a negotiation, right? Is that When you have a lawyer. Really? Yeah, that's all it is, is negotiation. I thought the cops could just make you talk about shit. 
Nope, not unless you're under arrest. You can really, you honestly, even if you're under arrest, you don't have to say anything. You can just shut your fucking mouth. Yeah, they were more asking for just a sit-down interview to talk about everything, basically. And so it wasn't like official questioning? No, they. I mean, well, technically it was, because it depends on who you ask. So the detectives thought it was because they considered them suspects. But when you don't have your prosecutor on your side, the DA's office on your side, it's a lot more difficult to get anything done. You don't have a case because... The DA has to sign and approve everything. They're the ones that are going to take it to trial and actually have to prove they're guilty, you know, so. It really does just seem like that they just made the detective's jobs nearly impossible to determine, like, the Ramsey's involvement because they pretty much had all the answers before the questions were even asked. Yeah, exactly. And they did everything through the DA's office, so the detectives wanted an interview. They called up the DA, and that's not... That's not how shit works. The suspects and the DA are not supposed to be buddy-buddy. You're not supposed to call the DA and be like, hey, can I talk to this person you're going to be prosecuting, maybe? Sounds a little shady. Yeah, especially when you're white and you have money. They now knew all the evidence police had against them and every prior statement they'd made. Despite this, when John and Patsy were asked if they read the police reports, Patsy said she hadn't and John said he'd scan them. Apparently, the investigation into their child's murder wasn't interesting enough for them to sit down and read. So essentially they treated these reports like they were like the back of an economics book. They didn't really give a fuck about him, even mm-hmm. though it had to do with their kid. Detective Thomas also questioned Patsy on her choice of outfits. While reviewing photos, he noticed that Patsy wore a red turtleneck and black pants to the Christmas party on the 25th. Officer French, the first on the scene of the kidnapping, noted that Patsy was wearing a red turtleneck and black pants. It's very unlikely that beauty queen Patsy did her hair and makeup the morning of the 26th then put on the same outfit she'd been wearing the day before. Well, it didn't smell bad, so I just thought I'd throw it back on. When asked about it, Patsy said that her and John Bonet usually matched clothes and had disagreed or had a, quote, little rift in her words about what to wear to the party. She then said she had just put on the same outfit in the morning. Yeah, that'll piss John Bonet off. And that makes no sense, and I realized that, and that's how she described it. She was like, yeah, we were supposed to wear matching outfits, or I wore something else, and then John Bonet wanted to wear this, and so I wore it, and then she was like, and then I just put it on in the morning. Yeah. And then I just I strangled mean, her. Honestly, I would just said, yeah, I was up all night because I had a flight the next morning. Like, why would you not just say that? I mean, there are millions of reasons why someone would stay up all night, but... Which they... people don't do that, though. They change their clothes. Yeah, well, but the thing is, you can't be up all night if your daughter got kidnapped in the middle of the night. Or, legitimately, sleep. you fell asleep in your clothes. Like, I quite frequently fall asleep in my clothes, and then she wakes up in the morning and is like, Oh, shit, I got a flight in a couple hours. I better go get ready, and I'll come back and shower later. So she goes downstairs to kick on her pot of coffee, comes back, finds, a, finds note. a note, runs up to John Bonet's room. I mean... You can put it together, you can write it off as anything you want. It's not really that outlandish to wear the same clothes two days in a row. Actually, it kind of is. It's not It's, yeah. not, that, it's <laughs> not that weird that she would be it's wearing not, the same clothes as the night before because they got home late, right? Eh, it's For, not, not that weird if you're like 22 and you're out partying all night. Well, she was out at a Christmas party. What time did they get home? Do we know? 10 p.m. 10 p.m.? I mean, you can fall asleep in your clothes at 10 p.m. If yeah, you're but... super drunk and you just drove your kids home, maybe. Exactly. This is not just any normal, like, you, you you know, you can fall asleep in your clothes, yeah, but you're also not a beauty pageant trophy wife. She's a fancy lady, bro. Yeah, they don't fall asleep in their makeup, do they? No, they take their makeup off and put one of those sleeping masks on. Hmm. They have silk nighties, fucking candles over their beds. Yeah, so for her, it's weird. For anyone else, maybe it's not. That's the whole point that the detectives noticed. 
Detectives took this as one, she had a reason to be irritated with John Bonet, and two, may have been in the same outfit because she had never gone to bed. That'd be a terrible spat to kill your kid over. John told detectives that he'd found errors in the police reports he'd scanned. He claimed that the morning of the 26th, he'd told the officers that he did not check the doors and windows, and he never said he'd read to the children he himself had read and then gone to bed. These are only small inconsistencies, but what made it odd was that he'd claimed the police had misunderstood him. He told three different officers the same thing, meaning three separate people, told at three separate times, all misunderstood him in the same exact way. Like I said in the previous episode, usually the only time a story changes is when it's not truthful. Was he at all willing to like think about the fact that maybe he had misspoke, or no, he just... No, he said they misunderstood me. Okay, okay. And they were like, all three of them? And he was like, yeah, they just misunderstood me. <laughs> Maybe you misspoke, sir. No, John John Ramsey doesn't fuck up. John Ramsey's a saint. Of course, it's entirely possible that he legitimately just said the wrong thing on that day and was now choosing to correct himself, but the timeline of events was making detectives and the public lean towards them being suspects. The brilliance of Boulder PD shines through again as they finally caught up to what everybody was thinking from the very beginning. Surprisingly, after the interviews, Patsy agreed to take a polygraph. While she didn't take one until years later, detectives were hopeful that her agreeing was a step in the right direction. John, on the other hand, refused, stating, quote, What I've been told is that I felt tremendous guilt after we lost John Bonet because I hadn't protected her. You know, I'd failed as a parent. I was told that with that kind of an emotion, you shouldn't take a lie detector test, because you do have that guilt feeling. So I don't know anything about the test, but I did not kill my daughter, if that's what you want to ask me. She was the most precious thing to me in the world. So if the lie detector test is correct and done correctly, I would pass it 100%. But he wouldn't take it? No. And then when they asked him, like, straightforward, will you just take the polygraph? He said... I would be insulted if you asked me to take a polygraph test. Frankly, I mean, if you haven't talked to enough people to tell you what kind of people we are, I will do whatever these guys recommend me to do, but we are not the kind of people you're trying to make us out to be. It's a tragic misdirection I think you're on, and the sooner we get off that, the sooner we'll find who killed John Bonet. The way John is constantly trying to lean on his reputation within the fat cat society um, and to brush off his guilt, it kind of just seems like the most misdirection of the whole investigation. Well, once you give your child over as the host for the Antichrist, you tend to get a little demanding of mere mortals, right, Katie? Is that just the catchphrase for when you're just being dumb, right, Katie? It's I want Katie to confirm my conspiracies because she, she did all the research. Ah, okay, okay. I just it just confuses me. Oh, it'll, it'll stop being confusing around episode three. So she's <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you guys might want to skip next week. So she was a sacrifice, but now she's the host for the Antichrist? No, that's uh, Burke. Uh, Burke is Burke the host, is for, the, the host oh. for the Antichrist. Soon to okay. rise to power. Jesus, do you just not pay attention to me, Katie? I w- We're trying to do a podcast here. We went from fucking 9-11 to Burke being the Antichrist, and it's last all time- It's all interconnected. Last Katie. time you said that it had to be his firstborn daughter, but he has two other daughters- <laughs> Roy's and I'm just still really stuck on that. It's it's all connecting in, Katie. You just got to follow the train of thought around the <laughs> station and back to home. Roy's been waiting almost 40 episodes to get a little conspiracy theory wrapped up into his bullshit. So he's pretty excited. You, I'm going to come with it next week. He you wanted to be say 9-11 ever since we started this podcast. He it wanted literally to say runs through it. my head every episode. I'm just like, this is what caused 9-11. That's going to be my new catchphrase. And that's what caused 9-11. <laughs> Kids, you want to know what caused 9-11? 
Come sit on my knee. The day after questioning, John and Patsy set up an interview with reporters. They had one agenda, and it wasn't to talk about John Bonet's death, as they told reporters it was off-limits. Rather, it was so Patsy could wear the exact same outfit she'd worn to questioning the day before. Now, if her outfit on the 25th and 26th was ever brought up in court, her attorneys could point out she'd done it multiple times. So conniving. Like, uh, Your Honor, I would just like to point out that she doesn't mind smelling the next day and wearing the same outfit. Do you really think, do you think it was like a recommendation from the DA at this point? Like, I have a feeling her attorneys, because they sat in on everything, and I have a feeling they were like, well, they brought this up, so let's do this, and then they can't bring it up anymore. Ah, that's so obvious. It's so obvious. Everything they do is so obvious. But not to the public is the thing, because the public sees just Patsy Ramsey sitting there being upset her daughter's gone. But police are like, that won't hold up in court now. Yeah. Now we know. Now detectives were determined to figure out what the SBTC meant. Salty brown turnip carts. They got the U.S. Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network involved, who were able to take every piece of public paper issued in regard to the Ramseys and scan it for the string of letters. Nothing was found, but the lack of search warrants due to the DA's office refusing to sign them severely limited what they could look through. It was at this point that the investigation really started to slow down, but as always, the Ramseys had to bring themselves back into the spotlight somehow. This time, they wrote an open letter and mailed it to all the major news stations in the state. In it, they complained that the Boulder PD is poking and prodding into their lives and how they refused to look into other suspects because they were solely focused on the Ramseys. They did not mention their lack of cooperation that led to police being unable to clear them as suspects. They probably were just feeling like they were the police were targeting them because... Every single thing they tried to do, they were getting turned down on and denied on, so they're trying any way to fucking get a statement even from these people. Yeah, I mean, the police generally go where the evidence points. I mean, they looked into every other instance of persons it could be. Santa Bill. Santa Bill, uh, Eustace, all these things. They, they've followed other suspects. The problem is, is that now, with their suspect pool so limited, they only have the people that were there to look at. The obvious it. killers? Yeah, the obvious people. And there was a lot... I mean, a lot of suspects that they cleared in the first couple weeks of this, too, that I haven't mentioned, just because there's literally absolutely no possible fucking way that they were involved. On August 6, 1997, what would have been John Bonet's seventh birthday, detectives met with Georgia Bureau of Investigation to set up a sting operation. They planned to wire John Bonet's gravesite to pick up any confessions made by the Ramseys or family. They were surprised when her birthday came and went, and the Ramseys never visited her. That's crazy. Just aside from how fucked up it is not to visit your own kid's grave on their birthday the first year after they died, it shows a pretty major detachment to the whole thing, I think, and an indifference that would be the farthest thing from most parents' like feelings, probably. And I just want to know, like, what kind of Huckleberry Hound bullshit is this to <laughs> fucking wire up a gravestone? Like, that sounds like the worst way to catch a criminal. Like, yeah, I'm going to come here and confess to this gravesite. Like, you're a creepy fuck. Was like, this little speaker on this thing last year? <laughs> no. Does anybody else remember this? She what? didn't have a... A headstone at this point. It was literally oh, just... Even worse. Do you notice just... the speaker in the ground right here? <laughs> Why is the ground all dug up there? What's that sticking out of the ground? It looks like know. an antenna. Huh. It's a flashing red light. Yeah, I mean, it's just... This is some... This is a bad way to do this because, one, you can't really plan a family's grief. And two, what the fuck are they going to say at a grave site? They're no, okay. Good I think thing you, we killed her quick. I think you guys are expecting them to walk up and be like, "Hi, John Bonet. I'm so sorry that I smashed your head and then I strangled you with a 
a garret from behind, and I didn't want to look you in the eye as you died, and I shoved a paintbrush in your vagina. Well, what exactly? Oh, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. Well, what exactly are they looking for is what I'm saying. If someone walks up to a grave and say it's Patsy, and she says, you know, she's crying, and she says, John Bonet, I'm so sorry I did this. Dun, but but, dun, dun, but nobody dun. says that. No one just comes out and confesses to gravestones. Okay, like, but when you think no one's listening to you, just because and you're, you're a alone? heartless person, Rory, doesn't mean that killers have less heart than you. There is. <laughs> what I'm what I'm just trying to get across that this is not a good plan because this one, is 100 percent a good plan because they always killers always go to the funeral. They go to the gravesite. I think they you're are... overstating yourself when you say always. I don't think that's the case. You've never seen The Sopranos. You know I. This haven't. was the GBI's idea. What does GBI is... stand for again? The, the Georgia, Georgia Bureau, Bureau of Investigation. investigation. Oh. So these I'm... are special agents that are like, okay, we've studied serial killers more than Rory Allard has. They're from Georgia. They're special, all right. They don't think they're going to get a, a con- like a confession legitimate so, enough that they can walk out of the bushes and handcuff them. But, but what are they looking for? I mean, they're looking for someone to a confess. A grand jury. They want a reason to call a grand jury. Because, but if, someone, if Patsy comes to the grave and cries, she's not going to say, I did this. She's going to say, I'm so sorry and cry. Like, she's not going to just sit there and be like, I'm so sorry I killed you. I'm so sorry. She's going to say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I should have cut my thumb And that can literally mean anything. That doesn't give you any evidence. Like, these people, I I feel like they're expecting a graveside confession here. They literally just want any evidence because they have nothing. Do they have a little lady with an umbrella creeping around and she walks up and someone's crying and... What's the matter, dearie? What's weighing on you? I just, that's how they're trying to get the confession. I don't think that people strictly walk up to a gravesite and say, I'm sorry. I think they I'm do. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There's a lot more that gets said when you think you're in private with your fucking child that you possibly killed. Obviously, you're going to want someone to spill that to, and if no one's around and listening to you, why would you not do it right then and there on her birthday? I don't know. It seems like a terrible state If you're to me. guilty, you're going to talk eventually, and... It's going to be when no one's around to listen. That's only if you're a bad criminal, but continue on. If Katie. a tree falls in the forest, does it still make a sound? She wrote a three-page ransom note in her own handwriting. You think she was a good criminal? <laughs> okay. And so then she maybe, left her kid in the basement. So maybe they did have a little bit to go on in this instance, because I'm pretty sure Patsy's an idiot, and she probably would have confessed at a gravesite. You're right. This isn't Huckleberry Hound bullshit. Continue, please. You take a bite out of crime. That's not how crime I know. That's Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60653. Two? Okay. I thought it was two. It could be three. I don't know, but either way, you're right. It just came to me. The GBI planned something even better, as they were much more willing to assist the investigation than the Boulder DA's office was. They were going to bug the Ramsey's home, then issue a grand jury subpoenas to John, Patsy, and Burke. See, that's a good plan. That's a plan. That's a real good, <laughs> That's a plan. well set up, thought out plan. We bugged their house, so they're most likely to talk about this. They knew this would stir the pot and hoped it would start some conversations they would be able to overhear. This would take some time to set up, so detectives headed back to Boulder to see if they could get a search warrant for phone records. Instead of signing off on it, the DA gave them a list of tasks they needed to do first. And it's long and ridiculous, so bear with me. It included, make a list of potential suspects culled from anyone associated with the Ramseys and get DNA from every one of them, 
Interview every neighbor, person, stranger, or visitor in the Ramsey neighborhood. Look into their alibis and question each one of them if they own duct tape, cord, or stun guns. Interview and get DNA from all Ramsey associates, schoolmates, and sex offenders. Identify every single person present at every one of John Bonet's beauty pageants. Interview them, check their alibis, and find out if they own duct tape, cord, or stun guns. Summarize every sexual assault or burglary that had ever occurred in Boulder. And finally, build a better rapport with the Ramseys. Seems like they were literally just like, literally interview anyone but the Ramses. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They didn't want this investigation going anywhere, so they said, I need you to find these people that don't exist and tell me about every single crime that's ever happened in Boulder, Colorado. Write a thesis on it while you're at it. Yeah. They also couldn't test DNA because the Ramses wanted to be there for any sort of DNA testing that was happening, so they wanted them to collect all this DNA and then test it, and they weren't going to approve the testing. Oh, this is just so fucking Ass twisted. Backwards, yeah, yeah, backwards. It's just bullshit. And plus, did they really think that owning a couple very common household items and a non-lethal weapon was enough to consider some random person a suspect in the case? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you own a cord, duct tape, and a stun gun, there's something fucked up in you. I could see if you buy them all at the same time, then the Walmart cashier might look at you a little funny, but otherwise... They then received a call from the FBI headquarters in Quantico, Virginia, inviting them to give a presentation of the case to the Child Abduction and Serial Killer Unit. After seeing all the information, they said that out of the more than 1,700 child murders since the 1960s, John Bonet's was the only case where the victim was a female under the age of 12 who had been murdered in her home by strangulation, with sexual assault, and a ransom note present. They also said that the intruder theory was possible, but not probable. I mean, that's a pretty significant group of people and a pretty significant stat to look at head-on if you are the Ramses. Like, this has never occurred in the history since the 1960s. Yeah, or pretty much ever, because this just doesn't happen this way. The murder didn't fit in active revenge where money was the motivation, assuming because they would have actually kidnapped her rather than just killing her. We know that when children are kidnapped, there's generally two motivations, money and sexual assault. Having both in the John Bonet case was extremely unusual. Almost as if it was the plot of a movie where all the worst aspects are jammed into said movie for shock and entertainment value, but there's no way that they would all occur in real life. The ransom note was just as unusual, with the FBI concluding that it was nothing like any ransom note they'd ever seen before. To them, it indicated it was written in the home after the murder took place in a state of panic. It was written by someone educated and comfortable in the home, and it was meant to confuse the police rather than actually ask for ransom money. JonBenet's body being found in the basement to them was because the parents did not want to place the body outside in the cold. The ligatures were for staging, not killing, and the garret was used from behind because the killer did not want to see JonBenet's face. They firmly believed that the murder was an accident, not intentional. How do you accidentally wrap a garrote around someone's neck, taking into account that you don't want to see their face, and then choke them to death, and have it be an accident? I mean, you tried to hang yourself once as a kid, right, Jake? <laughs> it wasn't as dark as you make it sound. It was like just an accident, and I was just a four-year-old kid and saw it in a movie. Well, there you go. I think it was a John Wayne movie. Honestly, it's probably like roughhousing with kids. Yeah. <laughs> Hanging yourself in roughhousing is exactly the same. I mean, I'm pretty sure I choked my little brother with a pillowcase once, so I can't. (laughs) I mean, yeah, for a kid to do it, that's one thing. Hold on, Rory, I have to check something off on the hair psychopathy checklist. (laughs) (laughs) But no, their idea was that... (laughs) I did choke Larry till he turned blue. The strangulation was not what killed her, basically. It was the, the blunt force trauma originally. 
So that was an accident. And then they went, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. I have to cover this up and make it look like I didn't just... Someone choked her to death. I didn't just slam her head into something and kill her that way. So the strangulation was the staging part and the actual accidental murder part was the head, the head trauma. Do you think Patsy was sitting in the background like she should have been wearing a turtleneck? In mid-September, a panel of pediatrician experts came to the conclusion that John Bonet had suffered from prior vaginal abuse, not just on the day she was killed. This finally narrowed down the suspect list a bit, as it was extremely unlikely that the person that killed her also broke into the home frequently enough to sexually abuse her. One expert went farther and determined the abuse was not an act of sexual gratification, leading detectives to believe it was done as some sort of punishment. They also analyzed a splinter found inside John Bonet's vagina during her autopsy and determined it came from the same paintbrush used to fashion the garrote. How do they know that the abuse was not an act of sexual gratification? Basically, based on the on the abrasions that occur when you have frequent sexual abuse that occurs long enough for sexual gratification rather than frequently but not for long periods of time. Ah. I'm and there's old. also a difference between what items are used. Another forensics expert created the most likely sequence of events from the night of her death. First, John Bonet was manually strangled using the collar of her shirt, which caused the perpetrator's knuckles to leave neck abrasions. Then she was hit with whatever object caused her skull to be crushed, and finally strangled with the garrote. Horseplay between siblings gone wrong, maybe? Like they were just wrestling around? Maybe. Her time of death was estimated around 1 a.m. based on the rate of digestion of the pineapple. Does digestion stop when a person dies? Yes. Pretty much, yes. Everything stops. When you Even die. though there's still acid in there churning it around? Well, I thought pineapple eats you when you <laughs> In eat Soviet you. Russia, pineapple <laughs> eats you. Like, legitimately, uh... Pineapple has uh, fights back, like yeah, <laughs> in your mouth, yes, but not in your stomach. Your stomach is extremely acidic and will fights dissolve back through in your semen. literally anything. With all this new information and evidence, the commander on the case was fired and replaced by a new man, one who sided with the district attorney's office. It seemed that any progress made would be offset by thousands of steps in the wrong direction. Why did the commander get shit canned? I don't think there was really a specific reason. I think he just kind of got ousted by. Look at old boys group. <laughs> Governmental aliens putting pressure on the local government, right, Katie? Sure. The new commander was able to convince John to hand over his phone records from December 1st through the 27th. Detectives could see that leading up to December, the phone lines were busy, averaging between 90 and 100 minutes of logged calls. Strangely, absolutely no calls were made or came in during the entire month of December. How do you... He just didn't use his phone the whole month? I guess, yeah. There was absolutely nothing. What the fuck? communication through telepathy with uh <laughs> no more likely he had a burner phone <laughs> finding nothing once again they were back to looking at physical evidence detective thomas bought cord from multiple different hardware stores in boulder and had an expert on knots and cords which yes actually exists look at them did he just go to a camp in the colorado woods and find the boy scout with the most badges for tying knots and scout master dave is their knot expert they determined the one cord purchased for 229 and mcduckin's hardware store was an exact match mcduckin's <laughs> is the greatest name for a store ever i think Welcome it was McGuckins. named after the guy that owned it i think his name was something <laughs> mcduckin's you have to be right. Like, <laughs> I mean, just, how else do you come up? We with needed that an old, classy name for a hardware store. Are there big corporate hardware stores? Uh, what do you think, McGuckins? That's brilliant. On December second, nineteen ninety-six, Patsy had purchased something at McGuckins for two twenty-nine. <laughs> Unfortunately, they had no way of knowing the exact item she bought, as they could only see the price and what department it was purchased from. 
I kind of think it's safe to say. I mean, obviously at Ace Hardware, there's a lot of stuff for two twenty nine, but oh, that is a that's a coincidence right there. Yeah, I mean that's a huge coincidence. That uh, I mean that's pretty good price for rope though. Not a bad price, but this was the nineties, and McGuckins has the sales. <laughs> they then looked at a flashlight that was found sitting on the kitchen counter in the Ramsey home. It was determined that it could have been what caused the blunt force trauma, but they could not be a hundred percent sure. Police had three theories about where the flashlight came from. Neither belonged to the family. The intruder forgot it despite taking their sweet time to write the ransom note and put the pen and paper back where they found it, or the most likely, it belonged to a cop who had set it down and was now too nervous to come forward and say it was theirs. Yeah, that's legitimately the only three options you have. <laughs> so what you're telling me is that a cop killed John Bonet? <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, I was just questioning it. So our three theories are the only three options that would make any sense at all. The whole in this universe. Case. Yeah. What about this case makes any sense I in know. the first place, it's, though? It's, so it's, any it's... other theory they could come up with, I'm sure they would throw in there. They don't even know if it's the murder weapon, though. It's just a random ass flashlight. <laughs> you just cause a little problem for him, at least. Then they just find a. Fl- There's a flashlight on the counter in this house. Can no home week. has flashlights. Not the Sanders home. I'll tell you that because we break flashlights. Not coming forward with information was becoming the popular thing to do in the Boulder PD, as now the officers on the scene were refusing to cooperate and changing their stories. It's the new world order at work. Right, Katie? Just cock-blocking everybody? Yeah. That's what they do. Is it? Yeah. (laughs) You about to find out. Most of them just said that they remembered absolutely nothing that happened that morning. Now, detectives were fighting against the Ramsey's experts and lawyers, the entire district attorney's office, and their very own department. They realized the case would never progress, even with the glimmer of hope they got when their new commander held a press conference and announced the Ramseys were under the, quote, umbrella of suspicion. What does that mean? It means that they can't call them suspects because the DA doesn't want them to, but they want to appease the public by saying... We're not ruling them out. I just honestly mean the umbrella of suspicion. That kind of sounds like you're under an umbrella and the suspicion is bouncing off of you like rain. I don't think it's meant to be taken literally. (laughs) I feel like you're right. Like he's saying we're protecting them from suspicion. They're under the umbrella of suspicion right now. Speaking of people misspeaking. Well, honestly, shouldn't it be they're outside of the umbrella of suspicion? Because they're getting suspicioned on? I'd, t- <laughs> I'd t- be like they're outside the circle of trust. Exactly. That makes more. Well, no. Yeah, okay, yeah. All right. Sorry. That just doesn't, doesn't it's make just any sense. A, it's just a saying. When I'm, you, like Jake said, can't call them suspects because of the DA's office. It's a terrible, terrible way to say that. I don't think anyone ever has taken it as literally as you are taking it at this moment. When you picture never... a physical umbrella. <laughs> Just repelling the suspicion from everyone within a, or a certain radius. I have never heard umbrella of suspicion before, so I'm trying to wrap my brain around it right now, but it sounds wrong. We would like head. to keep these people safe from the judgmental liberals of Colorado. Exactly. That's what, exactly what I, how I picture it. Well, it's not that. Okay, so it's the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. So They're on the outside of the umbrella of suspicion. Yeah, so picture someone is, there's like a ring. And if you're in the ring, you're a suspect. And if you're outside of it, outside of the... Um, I have no way to explain so this to you where it makes sense. The suspicion sense. itself is the umbrella. Yes. Okay. Basically. That makes, okay, so you're that, standing under it. You're, you're suspicious. You're standing under the it's suspicious like an exercise umbrella. pen of suspicion. Well, like, why didn't he you're just say it. the Ramses are standing under the umbrella of suspicion? Or he could well, have. Because that's, exactly. that's not how the saying goes. A few hours later, a letter from Patsy arrived. 
Once again, they were claiming they would cooperate, promising to work with the commander in any way and meet, in quote, the spirit of cooperation to achieve a common goal. Her only catch was they wouldn't meet with anyone from the police department. They'd only talk to the district attorney's office. Why did they have such a comfortable feeling with the DA's office? Did John have friends in high places in there? No, they were just protecting them. This is the most powerful person in the entire state, so. Oh, weird that it could, uh, the most powerful person's not a lizard person is what you're trying to say here? Or is, and we don't know it. No, they definitely are. We know by now that Ramsey's promising to meet with police means they have some sort of trick up their sleeve, and this time was no different. Detectives were working closely with outside lawyers for their legal advice, as the DA wasn't providing it. When they took those lawyers to walk through the Ramsey's home so they could get a better idea of the layout, they discovered hidden video cameras. It was not a system that continuously recorded, so someone from the Ramsey team had to actually go in and hit record before the detectives arrived. The home was for sale, and they were let in by a realtor, so we can probably assume she'd either simply agreed to let the Ramsey team know when they were coming by, or was paid off to do so. Although it was extremely suspicious, the FBI agents brought in to officially search the home did not find any listening devices, so it was technically not a crime. The Ramsey's lawyers brushed it off, saying they were only concerned about trespassers, and eventually the whole thing was forgotten. So it was just cameras with no mics? I think so, yeah. I'm not <laughs> sure exactly. You want to know the really funny thing, though, about this? Is if you think about the time period, and it's 1996, and they have hidden cameras, that literally means they had, like, 20-gallon potted plants in the corner with a camera built into it. Like. Right, the camera's about, like, the, the diameter of a fucking half dollar, like, very noticeable. Like, At they least, hadn't shrunk yeah, them yeah. down to fucking camera phone size yet or anything. Yeah, exactly. And so they're just like, hey, where did that plant with the glass lens in it come from? They, no, I mean, they noticed it pretty much right away, because they'd been in the home so many times. I'm sure the detectives were like, okay, what the fuck? Yeah, what's with all the cameras around, guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By now, the first anniversary of John Bonet's death was approaching, and detectives headed for Atlanta for a second gravesite surveillance. Before they could even set up their equipment, they were met with evidence. When they had been there in August, there was no headstone on John Bonet's grave. There was now, and it read John Bonet, Patricia Ramsey, August 6, 1990 through December 25, 1996. Oh, shit. Uh, do you think maybe they just put Christmas because it's it was Christmas? The Ramseys had told police that they'd arrived home from their Christmas party around 10 p.m. on December 25th. We know that John read, either to the kids or just himself, before going to bed. We can assume after getting home, getting ready for bed, and reading, that they were asleep between 10.45 and 11 p.m. This leaves around an hour window for the kidnappers to have snuck in, written the ransom note, killed and taken John Bonet to the basement, and then snuck out before midnight struck and it was the 26th. The timeline is also strange, as we all know that right after falling asleep, it's relatively easy for some small noise to wake you back up. For some reason, even knowing her time of death was determined at or around 1am, the Ramses believe she died on the 25th. Apparently, they know something we don't. I would definitely say with as much like fuckery from the DA and the, the police department on this one, and all the misdirection that we see in this entire case, that the Ramses probably know a lot that we don't. And I, I take offense to you saying that it's really easy to wake back up 
right when you fall asleep, Katie. That's you can't just wake Rory up after it's not like 30 true. seconds. So next week, we're going to pick back up at the start of 1998, and we're going to wrap up all the suspects and the evidence that have come out in the last 22 years. So next week's still not the conspiracy week? No, we still... It might just be a bonus episode. Don't roll your fucking eyes like JonBenet <laughs> is boring. You're I the mean, one just word vomiting I, New World <laughs> Order stuff. I, didn't, I just want the people to know the truth. The only thing I have to say is that while Katie is giving you the facts as we know it, I'm going to drop the truth bombs on your noodle boxes in one episode coming up here. All right, I think that's going to do it for episode two of JonBenet Ramsey. Thanks very much for listening, guys. Now, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Four Corners Crimecast and on Instagram at Four Corners Crimecast and on Twitter. And I think it's Four Corners Crimecast with the number four. Corners four Corners Crime. It's Four, four corners, corners Crime. Crime with the number four. Awesome. And don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. And just keep listening wherever you guys get your uh, podcasts every week. And now you can go over to fourcornerscrimecast.com. That's our sexy new domain. It's all about us. And you can uh, review our episodes. And best of all, you can add a sticker, a free sticker, to your cart. And uh, put in the promo code Bingo Bango, And we'll get that thing shipped out to you for free. Katie literally sends them out like pretty much the day that they get ordered. So head on over there. Check it out. Yeah, and that one's F-O-U-R. They're all F-O-U-R except for apparently the Twitter handle. Alright guys, thank you for listening. And, uh, and don't get confused. Yeah, we'll see you next week. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers! <laughs> <laughs>